You know, as my coach says, adaptation is never comfortable, right? That right. goes for anything in life. Growth is never comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if you feel comfortable, you're probably not growing. Right. So I think that tool of just learning how to push yourself, right? And going, okay, there is, I'm, there's a limit, but I'm going to train like there is no fucking limit. Hey everybody, welcome to It's Just Bodybuilding. Of course, I'm your host, Big Ron Partlow, my co-host, Dusty Hanshaw, and the producer, Scott McNally. Remember to like, share, subscribe, comment, and... Ring the bell. Ring the bell, yes. Remember, this show's sponsored by Mutant, so I am Mutant.com, Dusty20, Big Ron20. Look who's here. We have Lane Norton, <laughs> PhD... Um, we're very happy to have you here. I've known Lane for many years, probably about 10 years. I, uh, right. remember, I remember pouring you some Jaeger shots at Aaron Singerman's party once. And, uh, <laughs> Can we do the whole show just about that? That sounds like a fun conversation. <laughs> I have no that. I wonder if, if that's, those two things are connected. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we, we go, we go back to kind of my early expo days and, um, I've uh, I've happily watched Lane uh, put more. I think you put more, even more letters behind your name eventually, and then uh, just got uh, more and more renowned for your sort of anti nonsense approach. And um, that's why we're all fans of you, man. And and that's why you're here because we know that you genuinely want to make people better. And uh, yeah. you know the good people in the industry that just want you know want people to actually make progress and. Uh, you know, that's what we all tried to do so hard for so many years before we all, you know, eventually gave up. And uh, <laughs> and now we are here with you. And I just want to say that, um, you know, it's great to have you on the show because you've been on Rogan and you've yeah. been on Huberman and all these big podcasts. So, like, what's that been like for you? Like, I'd love to hear what it was like to just go on Rogan's show. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, um <clears throat> And Rogan was actually, I mean, I, I, it's funny when I look back at my career, cause I've been in this industry 20 years now. Um, cause you were saying you were like 10 years ago, just getting started to go into expos and stuff. And my first thought was, damn, I've been doing it for 10 years at that point, you know, like really yeah. when I was a kid. Um, and so, you know, it's funny because I think most people, most people who follow me now have followed me in the last couple of years. It hasn't been, huh. you know, from the old bodybuilding days or like even when I was really good at competitive powerlifting, um, you know, it's funny. So people will, you know, you made it or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of felt like I made it in 2009 when I was at the <laughs> Olympia covering it for bodybuilding.com, sitting in the front row, getting paid to be there. Like yeah. I, I remember leaving and going, is my life real? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think what's happened over the last couple of years is there has been kind of a transition and my content has transitioned as well. I love bodybuilding. I always love bodybuilding. I love powerlifting too. But, you know, those aren't – as much as I enjoy that space, those aren't the people who really need the most help right now. Hmm. And um, so I think I just got interested in speaking about more like general population topics, you know. Um, but super grateful for my time, you know, being in hardcore bodybuilding and hardcore powerlifting, like all those things, I think really helped me a lot. And, um, you know, being on Rogan, that was actually before, 
that was kind of before I got really well known, which I think has happened like the last couple of years where, I mean, I kind of notice, you know, 2009, 2010, that is when I go to expos, start getting recognized, we get stopped, you know, that sort of thing. And then like 2015-ish, we'll get stopped at gyms and like, you know, anything fitness related. And now it's kind of like, um, I just noticed the difference because I'll just be in a movie or I, I took my kids to the aquarium the other day, got stopped like four different times. And, you know, they're kind of like, oh, this is weird. You know, like, not, not, <laughs> I mean, like it's cool. I'm not going to say that it, like there's upsides and downsides, but I mean, the good thing is it's indicative of how far the message is getting out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being on Rogan, that was before that I kind of had gotten to that point. And um, it was cool. I mean, it was very much, you know, um, flew me in, stayed in a hotel, had a limo pick me up, took me to the podcast. He was still in L.A. at this point, right? This was was still in L.A. at this point. I actually think it was close to like. It's like 2017 or. It was 18. 18. September 2018. But I, I remember it was a big deal to the bodybuilders. Bodybuilders were talking. Yeah. Lane's going to be on no, on Rogan. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, yeah. He had followed me. Rogan had followed me probably about, I want to say like six to 12 months before that on Twitter. Okay. Maybe it's probably a year before that. And I remember Was that thinking, funny when you oh, saw that? What's that? Was that funny? Like when you saw that, like when you started seeing names like Joe Rogan following you and stuff. Yeah, that's been weird. Like uh, a few months ago, for example, I was on Instagram and uh, my friend Peter Atia had had. Uh, I think uh, Chris Hemsworth is one of his clients. And I just clicked on Chris's profile and it said "follow back," and I'm like, "Wait, what the fuck?" You know, <laughs> wait, Thor's following me. That's fucking cool. Um, and actually, it's funny enough. Most the uh, most he only likes my lifting videos. Most people, when I post my lifting videos, they're like, we don't care about this. Give us more information. Well, you know what? Thor fucking cares, so fuck you. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Great, great. Um, so, no, okay. Rogan was cool. Um, he had actually, when we had done it, he had kind of double booked himself, I think, by accident. Uh-oh. And um, he actually had a comedy show that night. And I think it was in Toronto, actually. And so we rolled in. Um me and Dom, so it was me and Dom DiGostino, who's a friend of mine, did the podcast together because he's a, a ketogenic uh, diet expert. And um, we were like goofing around with his weight set when Joe walked in and we were like, oh, shit, you know. Um, but he was cool, like very gracious, you know, took time with everybody. Um, he was a great host. Um, after we were done, like, you know, did the whole, took pictures with everybody, wanted to take pictures, all that kind of stuff. And it was a good experience. Uh, Huberman was a little bit different, but Huberman, man, as far as podcasts that moved the needle for my career, I mean, that would have been the biggest one. Really? Like that one, uh, he's, I think he said it was actually his biggest podcast that he'd ever done, like in terms of reach. I think it was that or another one. It was like between the two of us. Um, so that went really well. You know, I can't, I, I actually was in LA. I was doing multiple podcasts. I actually had filmed, I just filmed Andy Frisella's podcast. Mm-hmm. The next day, flew to LA, did Dak Shepard's podcast, and it was finishing yeah, up, um, which Dax and I like still keep, I actually trained with Dax when I was out there this last time a couple weeks ago. Um, and Kristen came too, his wife. She's actually getting some guns on her. Like she's getting some biceps on her. I was, I was proud of her. I'm like, and Dax is getting pretty jacked too. I'm like, you know, 
they're a funny couple because he's like yeah. six foot four and she's like five foot one or like it's it's funny when they're <laughs> together um but very nice people so anyways Huberman was the last podcast on that tour and um I, I was staying about 45 minutes away, so I was driving up the coast. It was a really nice drive, actually, all the way up to, I think he was in Malibu. And um, I, his office is, I think it's moved now. But um, came in, his producer met me. You know, we did some, I think we actually did photos, like, before the podcast. Like, they got some back black, you know, he does everything all black. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're getting ready to sit down. I just, I was like, hey, man, you know. You want to use the bathroom? I tend to talk a lot, so you might want to go because it might be a long podcast. And he's like, "No, I've never had to. I've never had to stop a podcast." Well, three hours in, he's like, "I got to go to the bathroom." Like, See? The I told you. So, but no, it was good, and um, he's actually been. Um, you know, I, I really like Andrew. Um, he, we text, you know, every couple weeks and, and catch up and. Um, you know, I appreciate what he's doing for science. A lot of people think that we're like, that I would go after him because he does, he is kind of cutting edge with this stuff, but like I've talked to him and what I appreciate about him is he will change his opinion on stuff. If you give him evidence and he actually recently started a uh, portal where people can upload documents or references if they wanted to check out of like in opposition of things that are on the show. So I think that's pretty cool, you know, being willing to consider an outside opinion. There's not a lot of people that do that. So I tell people, I'm like, hey, you know, everybody, like, I've made claims before that were wrong. I've, you know, um, gotten shit wrong. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't, like, that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is how you handle it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, um, right. You just get so many people who just double down or they do the whole, you know, this guy, <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen him before. I think he's a bodybuilder. But he was like, you don't want to have whey protein. Here's my secret. If you have whey protein by itself, it can't attach to your muscles. I'm like, what the fuck are we even talking about here? Like, <laughs> he's like, well, you got to have it with some carbohydrates. I'm like, well, I mean, carbs will secrete insulin. Insulin helps drive amino acids in the cells. That's fine. Maybe get a little bit more net protein balance. But like pretending that whey protein doesn't work because it doesn't attach. I'm like, I, do you know that like, just because the whey particles are small, they're not like too small. Like I don't know if this is a weird thing for you that like if there's a chicken breast, you're looking seeing tissue. And right. I don't know if you're thinking like you eat that and the tissue just becomes tissue, but that's not really how that shit works. Um, <laughs> so you know, people like and then I, I I commented like, tell me you haven't had digestive physiology without telling me you haven't had digestive physiology. Right. And he just said, well, look at me and look at you. I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, like, like, you know, and you guys know me. I'm not against PEDs. I competed drug free, but I'm not against anybody who takes PEDs. That's just, mm-hmm. it's just a different choice. But I'm like, okay, guys. So we're not going to pretend that this has anything to do with that. Okay, you know, right. it's just a typical yeah. shit. People do this stuff and double down. Mm-hmm. You know, you must be having a field day though now, considering because I, I think back to how things have changed in in bodybuilding and fitness over the last decade. And it it seems like the new move for everyone is to be an educator. So I started lifting and now I'm putting out Instagram posts about what you need to do with your nutrition. I mean, it wasn't as much like that, you know, 15 years ago, but literally now every time I turn around, 
everybody's an educator. My wife, uh, she's working on her PhD and she uh, she's constantly telling me, you know, oh, this guy just got it wrong or this girl got it wrong. There's just so much information out there and a lot of it isn't necessarily the best, but it's hard for us to pick through, honestly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, things are so different now. In a lot of ways, it's better for bodybuilders, like in terms of opportunities, because you really can create a personal brand now. You know, back in the day, you were kind of beholden to whatever supplement company you were with, or, you know, if you were in with a magazine or, you know, those sorts of things. Because I tell people, I'm like, if you look at the guys who have had the most financial success, I mean, obviously guys who have won the Olympia multiple times, they tend to be more financially successful because of the reach they develop. But I mean, like Phil Heath, Jay Cutler, these were good business people. You know what I mean? They made smart business yep. decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, there were plenty of guys who won big shows who who, who didn't do that great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, now I think it's easier to develop a personal brand because you're so connected with your audience, you know? Um, whereas before you were going to an intermediary, be it, you know, you're appearing in ads for a supplement company or you're in a magazine, you know, like getting a spread, <clears throat> those sorts of things. So now the problem with that is people realize that like it's content that wins, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're a bodybuilder and you're just having photos of your physique and training, that's good. You'll develop a following, but it's not the most monetizable following. If they think that if they like your content, they like the way you speak, they like your ideas, that is a much more monetizable following. You know, right. it's, it's one of the conversations I, I, I've had with, uh, friends of mine who were uh, females, kind of different, but still the same. I'm like, hey, you got to realize like you can develop a really big following, putting out a certain kind of content. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to make money from it unless you want to be doing like stuff that you might not like doing. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah, so, right. You no know, disrespect. Like if you want to do that, that's, that's your whole business. But I do think it's easy to get roped into the pressure to produce content and not just mm. content, but content that's really sexy and really sexy is very extravagant claims. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're walking into social media now, it is a saturated landscape with a lot of people saying stuff. And so what is one way to stand out? Say really crazy shit. That's one way <laughs> right. to stand out, right? Like if you don't want to put the work in. So I think one thing people don't realize is, you know, my message has been very consistent for a long time, but it's been a long time. I've been doing this for 20 years in some way or another, whether it's writing articles for bodybuilding.com, muscular development, um, <clears throat> putting out video content, putting out content on my social media. Like I was doing content before content was called content. Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I think what you're seeing is this explosion of people feeling like, okay, if I want to make it monetizable, I have to have content that's engaging to pull people in and believe that I'm an authority. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of what gets eyeballs very quickly is just quite frankly, nonsense. Yes. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you think is, is going to be the, the, like the pushback on that? Do you think we're seeing the pushback already? Like you, with people like you doing so well and, and kind of exploding, um, you know, you know, I, I can't see it going on infinitely and just getting worse and worse. It can't do that, can it? Well, I don't, so here's the thing. People ask me all the time, are things worse now than ever? They, you know, and I'll tell people, I think, I don't think they're worse than ever. I think it depends on what kind of silo you get into, right? Because unfortunately, a lot of people, whatever tribe they get into, and people are super tribal, they just end up following all those folks, and then 
they're never exposed to a different opinion, and then that's why they lose their minds when they see a different opinion for the first time. Um, but you know, back when I was getting into bodybuilding in circa you know 2000 2001, um, you didn't really have evidence based. Like it was, you know, if you were lucky, there was a couple guys in the magazines who actually knew what they were talking about. But mostly, it was you know pro science, which some of which we've learned now is good, and some of which mm -hmm. we've learned now was was you know even though it got results was maybe not the most efficacious thing or is, you know, unnecessary extra stuff, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Um, and so now if you know how to look, you can find a lot of really good evidence-based people. There's a lot of really good people out there, but you've just got to wade through more uh, people who are also putting out, you know, really shitty stuff. And um, I think that's the hard part, right? Um, is, is learning. I, I tell people all the time when it comes to, trying to find experts more than degrees, more than certifications, more than, you know, coaching credentials, more than, you know, athletic achievements. Listen to how people talk. Okay. Real experts very rarely will say things like best, worst, always, never. Like they don't <laughs> use superlatives like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd be like going to a, a financial advisor and be like, Hey, what's the best investment? And it's like, they're probably going to ask you 50 questions after that, right? Like, right. what's your risk tolerance? Uh, what's your time frame? What do you have saved? You know, like there's going to be all these questions that come after it. So I, I think, you know, when you're looking for experts, it's kind of like counterintuitive. You actually need to look for people who sound somewhat unsure of themselves because <laughs> they'll say things like, yeah, we think that this matters in these circumstances, but then the other thing an expert will do is like, a lot of times they'll give you a devil's advocate argument in a situation, right? Mm -hmm. They'll say, well, you know, the counter to that would be this, you know? And um, I think just like people who are just like, you know, they're a hammer and everything's a nail. I mean, like that's those, that is how experts talk typically. Right. Um, so when it comes to, you know, navigating the landscape, it is really hard for people. And it has it has gotten to be a lot. Because again, if you want to stand out, the way to stand out is just say really extreme stuff. Um, and it's funny, people will send me all the time now to your point, Ron. There's all these people who are doing debunking stuff now. Yes. And almost like same style, right? Like they've got the thing pulled up in the background and it's their face on it. And they're, they're debunking the stuff in the background. And people were like, oh, does this bother you? I'm like, bother me. I fucking love it. Like, good for them. We need, like, I'm just glad I'm not the only one anymore. Like, I got, I got fucking help now. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I can remember so many times being in, like, muscular development forums or bodybuilding.com forums and somebody making a claim and me going, like, <laughs> nobody else is going to call this. Nobody. <laughs> and they'll be like, but Lane, he coaches people at the Olympia or Lane, he competes. I'm like, okay, but I know that this is certifiably false. Like the, not a, an opinion. This is objectively false. Right. Right. So right. I think like, I just got used to like, I don't care who it is and I don't care how big their following is. And I don't care what their, even what their credentials are. If you say something that's not evidence-based, I'll call you on it. But I always am happy if, you know, like, uh, for example, I had something one time, uh, a guy I called out multiple times. His name was Thomas DeLauer. He was a low carb advocate. And he actually, over time, 
softened his stance on a lot of stuff to where now, I mean, you know, when we talk, we don't really disagree on much. But he changed his opinion over time and asked if I would be on his podcast. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'll be on your podcast, man. Because like that's, I think that takes a lot of integrity to be able to like say, you know, I had this opinion and I changed it. Well, right. people forget it's not personal. Like, like that's the weirdest thing is this isn't an attack on Dusty Hanshaw. It's the stance yeah. that you took that you're like, no, I'm not mad at you. I'm just sh showing you evidence that what you're saying is incorrect. And if, you know, if you've got any sort of uh, backbone, that should be good news. I mean, if I could go back and talk to the beginning me that was coaching and starving people to death and all the things I didn't have to do when I thought I knew everything. And I'm sure in 10 years, I'll say that about the me that's doing it now. Hopefully. I hope <laughs> yeah. I'm not done evolving. <laughs> Dusty, that is, I, what you just said, I say in a different way, but it's the same thing, which is being wrong is actually beautiful because if you're doing everything right, you've maxed it out. There's nothing else you can, you can't improve. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, listen, I like to be right. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I don't. Of course I fucking like to be right. I'll do cartwheels in my fucking living room if I'm right. But if I'm wrong and I know I'm wrong and I see the evidence, I'm like, okay, well, that's like, I tell people all the time, I'm like, dude, I still compete. Like in powerlifting, but I compete. Like you don't think I want to be the biggest, strongest, most muscular human I possibly can? Of course I do. Like my ego is pretty big, but not bigger than my desire to get jacked. Okay. <laughs> so just remember right. that when you're thinking that I'm like being, you know, I'm being obtusive. But I think, Dusty, the, the thing is when it becomes personal is when people make a certain way of doing things an identity. Right. Right. Mm. And so that's what, like, you notice, like, one of the things I popularized was flexible diet. Right. Like, yep. I, I talked about that a lot. You know, if you go to my Instagram, you don't see flexible dieting guru or flexible right. dieting master or, or, you know, flexible dieting anywhere, right? Because I don't want to tie my horse to a, that cart, you know? Like right. my, my, uh, my PhD advisor had a great uh, saying. He said, date your hypothesis. Don't marry it because the divorce is a bitch. Hmm. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. <laughs> wow. There's, there's the entire show right there. We can just sum it up <laughs> in a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, do, I tried a little bit different version of that, but it got me in trouble on Twitter, um, which was – but I like five years ago if I'd said this, it had been fine. But I said, you know, you can date your hypothesis, but don't make the hoe a housewife, you know. Um, I'm like, Dre said it first. Dr. Dre said it, kind of, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. See, most of our viewers actually didn't understand it the first time you said it, but they got it there. Pure, pure clarification right there. <laughs> For just so you know who's watching. Um, I, I really want to ask you this question. This was like, I'm actually jumping down my list because it fits perfectly. But what is the biggest thing that you ever changed your mind on? And was it painful and hard? Or can you also remember something that was painful and hard to change your mind on? I mean, I know what I think. I think it's probably branched amino acids, supplemental branched branch amino acids. Um, and my reasoning for that is, you know, I was with uh, Salvation for a long time. They had a BCA product. 
um, that I used and I liked and uh, I would recommend to people. And then there was uh, my first line of supplements that I have at bodybuilding.com. Had a product with BCAs in it. And then got to, I don't know, 2019, and I was getting ready to start my, my current supplement company, Outlook Nutrition. And I was putting together the recovery product, and I was like, man, I just can't back this up with reference. Like, I can't back this up anymore. Like, I just, I, it would have to be like, hey, guys, we're evidence-based except for this thing, which is my feelings, you know? Mm. Um, wow. Now, again, like, I don't. I still think branch chains have some utility in certain situations, but mm-hmm. I think the research is pretty clear that if you're if you're consuming enough total protein, especially high quality protein sources, I just don't think it really does a whole lot on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I can come up with some scenarios where it might make a difference. But you know, when I'm looking at the stuff I want to put in, I'm like, okay, this has a lot better evidence. This has a lot better evidence. I'm going to stick with this stuff. So that was probably mm-hmm. the most. I wouldn't say painful. But it was like, it took me a long time because, I mean, that's like, my research was on BCAAs, not supplemental yeah. BCAAs, but just BCAAs in general. And then, um, you know, I was recommending it for better, over a decade, you know? So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, there's still people who would be like, remember when you recommended branched chain amino acids? I'm like, yeah, I fucking remember. Like, <laughs> I did the best I could with what I had at the time, and I thought it was a good recommendation, and I changed my mind later. So, you know. You know, I tell people, if you're not willing to change your mind based on new evidence, you're not, you're basically a politician, you know, like you just, and that's what you find is people get so tribal about all this stuff to to Dusty's point. Like it just becomes an identity like anything. And I, I don't know what to do about it. I really think it's actually just a human problem that it's a couple things. One, we like to feel like we belong to something. We like to feel like we're in a tribe that Mm. that's part of it. Two, I think this is actually somewhat of an insecurity thing too. Like, Ron, you can tell me I don't do flexible dieting. I'm not going to go, well, here's why you should do it. I'm going to go, okay, cool. You know what I mean? Like, do Mm -hmm. you, right? Like, I don't give a shit. Do whatever you want, right? Like, I don't care if somebody only eats rat anuses. Like, I, I don't care, right? Like, just don't make a claim that that's the best way to, like, you know, build muscle and be shredded, right? Like that's all I care mm-hmm. about or, or our claim that's going to cure heart disease or whatever it is. Um, the the problem, you know, so I don't care about what an individual does. The problem is when you take what you do and you start trying to, again, like almost like a religion, trying to get everybody else to do it. And it's because you're actually insecure about it. Right. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. Because if you're, if you really feel like it's the best thing to do and you feel that way for yourself, why do you care? Like, why do you care if anybody else does it? But I see so many mm-hmm. people, it's like, let's get them in our group. Let's get them in our tribe, you know? Right. Well, you know, it's funny, though, is it's in, it's in reverse as well. Because, um, you know, I'll, I'll post videos of, of my training, and then people will get on there and go, that's not great for everyone. And I'm like, I didn't say it was. Right, right. I've, right. I've never claimed you should do this. This is literally usually doing what I train like you. Yeah. (laughs) But it's funny because I think people do that. They, they create that tribe as well. Like, you know, I did, I did DC training. That's what put the size on me to put me on the map. And then people, they come to me and they're like, so I'm going to do DC training. Right. I'm like, no, absolutely not. Well, why not? You're not advanced enough or you need that. Like, or the big answer would be, I don't know. We have to watch your body and, see what things work best for you you know 
it worked for me because I trained at such a high intensity level that more volume would kill me. It wasn't a magical program for everybody, you know? Well, I think, you know, people don't realize with volume too, like, you know, DC was a lot of rest pause. So it wasn't actually super low volume, right? Mm -mm. You're, you weren't doing a lot of, you know, whole sets, but within a set, there was a lot of micro sets, you know? And so, you know, I think the other thing too, is to your point, Dusty, like I remember one time I posted a, a, a physique photo and I had like cupping marks on me, right? Because yeah. my a massage therapist did cupping. And I got people, that's not evidence-based. There's no evidence that cupping works. I go, I know. And they're like, well, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. I like the way it feels. I, I don't care if it doesn't work. Right. I'm, like, oh. I'm like, I'm not saying you should do it. You probably yeah. shouldn't. But <laughs> I feel better afterwards. And so I don't, I don't really care if you do it. You know, don't, right. by all means, don't do it, you know? And uh, I think people were just really, like, taken aback by that response. But there's so much stuff like that where, like, you know what the most number one underrated thing for training and making progress of training is? Just fucking enjoying your training. Just being fucking yes. fired up to go in and train. Absolutely. And I made my best progress training like a power lifter not because I think powerlifting training is the best way of doing things, but because I fucking loved it and I was jacked up to go hard every single set, right? Right. Like that's you you find me you might be able to find exceptions, but I think if you look at high level bodybuilders, the one two commonalities are they have good genetics, obviously. Um, and most of them train really fucking hard. Now I can find right. exceptions to that. But most, like, I, I train in the same gym as Derek Lund, uh, Lundstrom. And mm. that dude trains fucking hard. Like, and he likes mm. to train. I see him in there. Yeah. I train two, three hours a day, and he, he's in there every bit as long as I am, you know? Right. And so, you know, you're, it's hard to do that consistently over years and decades if you don't like what you're doing, right? Right. Yep. So I think for people, you know, they'll, they'll show me all these different types of training. And I'll be like, okay, but are you going to like be consistent with that? Or are you going to like enjoy that? And they're like, so like taken aback by the question. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, okay, really riddle me this. Do you really think if you don't have the perfect training program, but you train really hard for 20 fucking years that you're not going to look good? <laughs> like, come on, guys. This is not difficult math here, all right? So my example I do for that with people is I'll go, I'll just pick somebody out in the audience. I'll go, hey, you, if I'm giving a sonar. Like, hey, if I tell you I want you to become the best three-point shooter you possibly can be and you can't get, you can't get any coaching, no training, you can't even watch videos online, right? But all you did every day for 10 years was go out and shoot three-pointers for two hours a day. You probably won't go to the NBA, but I bet you'd be pretty fucking good at shooting three-pointers. You know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> yep. And we know that inherently that consistency is so important. But so many people just try to hack their way right. Like you saying, Dusty, it's like they want to jump straight to the advanced program. Yeah. And it's like, no, show me you can do this basic shit first. Okay? Right, yeah. And it's not even like something magic happens to your muscles where all of a sudden they start – you know, adapting differently in a certain, no, it's just, if you come in and it's your first workout and I hammer you and you can't fucking walk for two weeks, 
Like you're not going to be consistent with it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like you got you to gotta work up to it. It takes time. You, you, you would love, um, <clears throat> when I first hired Chris Aceto in uh, 2009, I got all my stuff and he, he doesn't write training, you know? So I texted him, I said, hey, Chris, uh, how do you want me to train? You know, and I'm expecting him to give me like high volume, low, you know, whatever. I get back two words, fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, understood. And that was our full conversation about training for a decade. Yeah, but I think... <laughs> So many people don't understand like hard training because I'll post my mm. training and most of my training I do, especially because powerlifting now, because I'm trying to manage fatigue, I don't go to actual, absolute failure. Like I usually mm -hmm. stop a rep or two or three shy, right? And I'll get people like, well, your training is easy. I'm like, okay, so you've never trained to absolute failure, okay, on a compound exercise. And here's, here's why. Like a compound leg exercise, all right? Because mm -hmm. I've done... I think like my best set of squats ever for reps was like 535 for a set of 10. Like it was just fucking dumb. That's um, wild. When I got done with that set, uh, the it was kind of at an in-between level on the rack where mm -hmm. I could unrack it. But by the time I was done, like, I, wasn't, I couldn't fully stand right. up because I was so fatigued. I got yeah. on one side and I could not get the other side in. And somebody had to run over from the other side of the gym to get it on there. But once they did... I fell down, laid on the floor, and couldn't fucking breathe for about two or three minutes. Like, yep. I'm just going, because <gasps> you guys know, if you've got a hard set of squats, a high rep set of like free bar squats, that shit will take it out of you, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So I'm like, okay, absolute failure is me laying on the ground for 15 minutes. You're telling me if I stop two reps shy of that, that set was easy. <laughs> right. Yeah, every right. single rep, and that's why I tell people, I'm like, every single rep of that set was hard. You do a right. 10 rep yeah. actual max, every yeah. rep is hard. Okay? <laughs> and that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. Because I'll see some of these people, like, if you if you take, um, in research studies, people will underestimate their reps to failure by about five on average. Yeah. Okay? okay? So, what you'll have is people, they'll get to, like, rep eight, and they'll say, how many you have left? They'll say two. And then when they really push them, they end up doing 15, right? Right. And yeah. um, so I tell people, if you've never, even though the, the latest research suggests that you, to maximize hypertrophy, you probably don't have to go to complete failure, but you got to get pretty close, okay? Mm -hmm. So one or two reps shy. But if you've never trained to complete and utter failure, you have no concept of what that feels like, and you probably just stop when it gets really hard. You know what yep, I mean? Right. Yep. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think the good thing about the way I grew up, the 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 era I trained in, even though I don't, uh, people would say Dorian Yates and I would not agree on training methodologies. I remember reading uh, an article about him, and I don't know if this is true or not. It probably is. Where other, it said other bodybuilders would find out when he was going in the gym so that they didn't go at the same time because <laughs> they didn't want him to embarrass them with how freaking nuts he was and intense he was. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be that way, you know? <laughs> so if somebody asked to train with me, I take it as a personal insult. I still train alone <laughs> to this day. I take it as a personal insult. I'm like, well, you're going to vomit. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, uh, 
I think I was on leg days. I think I was like four for five on people who vomited. You know, um, <laughs> right? So it's just you learn if you can really learn how to push yourself like that. You get to the point where you actually, in the sick way, you enjoy it. You know, and it, mm-hmm. it becomes such a, a tool that you can leverage because most people don't know how to do that. Oh, for sure. I I I am a big proponent of you know you know the back in the less scientific 90s you know when i when when i sort of you know came up a lot of stuff was done just because it was really hard and it was like you were trying to it was like we were inadvertently working our my our mental toughness into our training like we weren't just there to stress tissue we were there to like like push yourself like how far can you go and when I, we thought of the wall like 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 you got to hit the wall that was how we used to talk it was like where's the wall like you have to hit the wall at full speed to find out where it is you know and so i i feel like people micromanage all this minutiae regarding the perfect training program sometimes and that's you know you're talking about enjoying your training but that was part of the sick enjoyment <laughs> I mean, I think uh, Mike Israel had a great post about a year ago, and I loved it. And he said, "Stop trying to out science hard fucking training." Now, yep. we're, me and Mike are both science guys, both got PhDs, but we see what people are doing. Like, well, this tempo, and what about this periodization scheme? And what, it's like, dude, I see you train. Shut the fuck up with this stuff. Like, learn how to go hard, okay? Yep. The, the, it, it's, it is the single most important thing. And like you said, like, you think – I always equate lifting to, like, there's, like, progressive overload for life. Like, the more hard shit you do and go through, the more hard shit you feel confident you can go through, right? Right. And so if I think about, like, the first few times I trained or, like, the first few years I trained – I remember when I moved to doing legs twice a week, I'm like, there's no fucking way this is going to work, you know, because I'm like, I'm, I'm sore so much. You know, what I found is, wow, my body adapted, you know, my body adapted over time and wow, I got great results. And then, but to the point where when I was training for IPF worlds in 2015, when I broke the squat record at that time, um, I ended up squatting 668 pounds and I weighed 201.5 pounds the day of the meet. And, I was squatting four times a week. I was benching four times a week. I was deadlifting twice a week. And I'm not talking about like a low number of sets. I'm talking about like, I think the lightest weight I touched in prep for IPF Worlds was like 510 pounds for sets of seven. And um, I think I was maxing, like conservative maxing twice a week. Like if I told you what I did two weeks out from IPF Worlds, it was like, it was just stupid. I think it was something like 40,000 total pounds of volume or something like that. I mean, like if you showed me that <laughs> even a few years before, I'd said no fucking way I can recover from that. There's no way I could do that. Mm-hmm. And what you find is like, you know, if you can push through that discomfort initially where it is so hard and you do feel like shit, um, you know, as my coach says, adaptation is never comfortable, right? That right. goes for anything in life. Growth is never right. comfortable. And if you feel comfortable, you're probably not growing. Right. So I think that tool of just learning how to push yourself, right, and going, okay, there is, I'm, there's a limit, but I'm going to train like there is no fucking limit. You know, and right. well, my body will tell me when I've hit it. Yeah. Well, I think that's the problem with the, 
not the not the factual side of the science now, but like you said, if I'm three to four reps below my my true failure, and then I'm being told to leave three reps in reserve, well, now I'm not even training. And I feel like that's the part that people think it's an egomaniac attack, the old school mindset of just go harder. But it's because chances are each of us has hit and hit true failure a handful of times, even if you're animals. You know, it's like yeah. there is a huge difference. I mean, we've all had those sets. It's funny, but I'm sure you've had these, Lane, where you're going and then say you rack the weight and all of a sudden you realize that sound came back on and you can hear the gym again. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. have that. And I'm always like, well, why can't I get that every time? Because that's the set I like. You know, you literally you feel like someone yeah. just grabbed the knob and turned it back up, and you're like, "Where was I?" Oh for yeah, that to take place. Out of body experience. I've, <laughs> I've, I've had that. I mean, so many. I would say sets of squats where I can think about that. Where, yep. um, you know, like I felt like I couldn't. I was. I've I've had sets of squats where I've thought. Nothing could get me to stop. The only reason I'm stopping is because I literally can't fucking breathe anymore. You know, <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's 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 um, it's it's such a huge tool, and you know, I think with bodybuilding especially, it seems to be. Actually, my coach, his name's Zach Robinson. He actually did this meta regression. He's a PhD student, um, showing this that basically. With bodybuilding, with muscular hypertrophy, the closer you get to failure, typically the better the results are. The only downside to hitting failure is it is, you know, going through those sets is fatiguing. So it may limit your recovery and your ability to perform in subsequent sets. So mm -hmm. there may be value in like, you know, not always training to absolute failure just from a cumulative effect perspective, right? right. But I will tell people, I'm like, every once in a while, you need to do something where you go, Let's see what kind of balls I got. Let's see what I'm made of. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. My apologies to the ladies out there who do train hard. There's plenty of you. So my apologies for the for the testicle. <laughs> but you know, I think you know what I'm saying. Hey, uh, some of those ladies have more than the rest of us in the gym. Their, their <laughs> balls are here. Their balls are definitely here. I've seen some of these girls diet. Their balls are here. Not me. He said it, not me. That's good. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think um, – and then, but with powerlifting, it's interesting because if you think about if you think about what you're trying to do with powerlifting, you're really trying to produce as much force as possible, right? Um, so when he did the same meta regression, but looking at strength instead of hypertrophy, he found that proximity to failure had almost no bearing on strength results. It was more about trying to move a given load as fast as possible hmm. because. You can apply the same force to 300 pounds that you do to 500 pounds. It's just 300 pounds going to move faster, right? Hmm, right. So, you know, kind of going back to like old school bro science, maybe there was something to the whole West Side Barbell doing speed days, you know, for back offs. You know, they would do, you know, heavy max out days. And then they would have a day that was a lot more volume, but much lower weight where they were trying to move weight for speed. You know, maybe that was a situation where form was in front of science, you know, right. um, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of different tools and a lot of what, how I train now is, you know, mostly for powerlifting. So I've actually kind of got to like convince myself to not go into that methodology mm. so much with, at least with the main lifts. I do train a lot closer to failure on like my accessory stuff. So if I'm doing 
a machine press or a hack squat or something like that. I will train mm-hmm. close to failure on those. But really, we don't, we, we stay, you know, around two or three reps shy of failure for most of the year until I get close to a meet and then we go up um, and get more intense. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, with bodybuilding, you got to learn how to push yourself. And I'll, I'll never forget, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy named Dave Gooden. But mm-hmm. uh, Dave was, um, for a long time, was the biggest money winner in natural bodybuilding history. He's WMBF world champ multiple times. Uh, then he actually won his IFBB pro card as a master's competitor. Um, I think he won it at the Team Universe, I want to say. Or maybe it was Masters. I can't remember. Um, and Dave at my, was the guest poser at my first show in 2001. And I had these little skinny chicken legs. Um, people would make fun of me on bodybuilding.com, ask me if I even trained. It was upsetting because I actually trained really fucking hard. They were just <laughs> slow. And I, I remember asking Dave, I said, you know, what, what, do I, what am I going to do? You know, what can I do to catch these up? Yeah. And he was like, if you want, if you have legs that are are a weak point, and they don't respond well to training, and you're going to stay drug free, you better teach yourself how to tolerate some pain. And I remember just really taking that to heart and just fucking punishing myself. Like my my sessions for legs were were horrifying if I look back, but I loved it. I loved that sick feeling of like not even hardly being able to walk afterwards. Like I just, I love that, you know? Um, and if I ever go back and, you know, I say I'm like semi-retired cause I don't want to say fully retired cause maybe one day I will do another show. Yeah. I, I look forward to training that way again. It'd be fun. Get, get the glutes in one more time lane. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, don't know, I tell people, you know, it's just, it's just tough, you know, with, with powerlifting, it's, you know, I still have to do some of the things like, you know, sleep and stress management and all those things to make sure I don't get injured or, or be have too much pain. Um, but for the most part, you know, my gym sessions are long. I mean, my powerlifting sessions would be two, three hours at a time. But when I leave the gym, I kind of leave the gym. You know what I mean? Um, I still got to make sure I'm getting in enough nutrition and all that kind of thing. But with bodybuilding, I mean, that kind of stays with you, especially during contest prep. And for me, I think, you know, having two young kids now, it's like, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm divorced. So I, you know, on weeks I have the kids, it's, it's me. Um, mm-hmm. and I have them half the time. So I just wouldn't want to be in a position where I'm like, Oh, sorry guys. Dad can't, dad doesn't want to go play cause he's tired. You know, like that right. sort of thing. So, yeah. you know, maybe when they're older or something like that, but, um, I think right now powerlifting allows me to get my iron fix in and, and, uh, and I will say after having done both, um, the one thing I love about powerlifting is if it, when it comes down to it, when it's the last deadlift, win or lose, I control my own fate. You know what I mean? Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously, if you're really good in bodybuilding, I tell people, listen, if you're consistently really good, you're going to get rewarded. Okay? Like, it does happen. Yeah. Um, but it is a subjective sport. And that is probably the hardest part of it is you put so much work in, and at the end of the day, it's going to boil down to somebody's opinion. Yep. No I like the scoreboard. The yeah, the, the scoreboard is just pretty awesome to me in, in powerlifting because it's yeah, you know, uh, other other I'm than the occasional it. false uh, red lighting, uh, everything's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that is the one subjective portion of it, and people complain about it, but you know, I would say for the most part, the the calls are pretty good, especially in the like the good big organizations like the IPF. Um, mm. But it's actually you know powerlifting. I'll tell people. 
I think it's a pretty fun sport to watch, actually, especially in person. Um, oh yeah, you know, if you've got, mm-hmm. especially if you've got a good announcer who can tell you what's going on, you know, because there's a lot of there can be a lot of um, a lot of gamesmanship with you know changing deadlift attempts and uh, lot numbers and all kinds of stuff. So it's it's fun. I love that aspect of it. But then you know, with bodybuilding, I obviously love the performance aspect of it. You know, the creative aspect of it. Um, that was fun, and I loved you know. It's just really cool to watch your body change, you know? Like, it's it's cool to get fucking strong, but it's also cool to watch your body change. I think that's the – so, I'm, Dusty, I'd love to get your take on this and Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be really hard to be a competitive bodybuilder these days and make progress because there's so much pressure to look stage ready now because you're on social well, media all the time. We talk like, about it all the time. <laughs> like, I – I, dude, I took – when I won my pro card in natural bodybuilding, I took four years off from competing because I'm like to add three pounds of stage weight, right? <laughs> right. Because I know it's going to take me fucking forever because it's, it's you know, natural, natural bodybuilding. Natural right? bodybuilding. <laughs> um, and I'm like, man. But, you know, and I got up to – you know, my competition weight was like, you know, 192, something like that. And I got up to like 230 in the off season. And I wasn't like fat, but you know, you know what off season looks like, you know, if you post pictures online, people are going to be like, Oh, what happened to you? You know? Yeah. And, um, that'd be so hard to deal with these days. You know, that would be so hard to, to, to manage because you just have trolls talking shit all the time. I was in Northern Canada with a, with a hoodie on for eight months. (laughs) No (laughs) No one knew. No one saw me, (laughs) you know, you're eating. You know what, what makes it hard is that um, we've we've further lied essentially to the public, so they don't know what happens. You know, I was when I was you know on my way up, I'll say, but not really on the map yet. I had done a show. I was about a year into an off season, so I'm heavy, and a guy came over that was uh, a friend of my wife's at the time, um, and uh, he was from her church, and he came over and he goes, "Oh, I thought you were a bodybuilder." Because I wasn't shredded. So all he saw was a big fat guy. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I literally, I've had that and a, and a grandmother once tell me I was skinny. Those two things were my two closest to suit. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, it was funny because I realized like people don't know. And that's the part where the work gets done, you know. And, and that was going to be my, my question to you, Lane, was when you've done both, um, like, because for me, I, I could like Ron knows this because he actually was in my room when 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 you were taking a look at me before I hit the stage, and I told him I was like, I just wish I could be done now because the fun part of the prep to me is the prep, and then I wake up in the morning, I see myself at peak, and I don't care after that. I'm like, ah, I'm the best I've ever been. Cool, I'm done. So for you, taking away the winning the competition in powerlifting or winning the competition in bodybuilding, which of the preps did you find to be more rewarding? You know, they're rewarding for different reasons. I do think I enjoy powerlifting more just because of the objectivity of it, you know, mm-hmm. and the numbers you're hitting in training. And I think the cool thing is, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I'm doing what I'm going to compete with, right? Like I'm, right. I'm doing that action. Bodybuilding is one of the only sports where you're, what you're presenting or what you're doing on competition day is completely different than what you do for you know mm-hmm. most of your day-to-day, right? And so it's kind of a unique sport, sport in that aspect. I do think bodybuilding is more 
See, there's some ways that bodybuilding is more mentally challenging and there's some ways that powerlifting is more mentally challenging. It's just different. But I think mm -hmm. the hardest thing about bodybuilding and the thing that I don't like is I, I love to train and by the end of bodybuilding prep, training becomes a chore, you know? Right. Because you're just so, right. you're so low energy, you know? And, and it, it really does like, um, so I have a natural testosterone level of whenever I've had it measured in the off season is anywhere from 750 to 1,000. So I have pretty high natural testosterone. Mm -hmm. I got measured um, at the end of a prep and I was in the 200s. Like it Man. just, it fucks you up so bad. And right. I mean like the mind games, the lack of sex drive. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> this old message board I was on one time, somebody made a thread that was, what do you miss most during prep? And everybody's list listing off foods, right? And this one, and there's like three pages of this thread. And this one guy comes in and just goes, sex with my wife. And everybody's like, oh, yeah. Like, we didn't think about that. And then everybody's like, yep, yep, that's it, that's it, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just such a um, – it just makes – your whole life gets hard. Like, even thinking mm -hmm. gets hard. Like, yeah. I think that's the thing I'm scared of most is, like, I have to use my brain so much now running businesses and being on podcasts and stuff, like – I'll look at my old uh, DVD of my last competition where I'm like, there's a scene. I'll remember, I remember this where I'm setting out my clothes for travel and it's like, you know, a CD when it used to skip. Yeah. That's what my brain looks like. Cause I'm like, uh, uh, and then we'll, uh, uh, like I just, I had no, I couldn't fucking do it. You know? Right. It the scene so remixed. <laughs> so I think, I think I enjoy the powerlifting part of it more. Both offer unique challenges. Mm -hmm. I do. I think the thing that makes bodybuilding rewarding is it, it is something that does not leave you for 24 hours a day, right? You're hungry. You're tired. Sometimes you stand up and you get lightheaded because you have such low blood pressure, you know, with, with, yeah. with like you know, losing so much body fat. Um, I think that challenge when you get through it, it just makes it very rewarding to, to go through mm -hmm. something so tough. Right. Agreed. I had a, a, a list of questions here that I wanted to kind of rapid fire hit. You yeah. Get like, get like a, you know, 10 second, uh, general sort of. You know, <laughs> Good luck, Ron. My plan was to ask you all these questions and that quickly dissolved. Um, yeah, we've so derailed that. Fit them in. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's just, I have so many friends that are going to be like, you didn't ask him my question. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't ask him my question. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, metabolic adaptation. How evil is it? Is it going to get you? How much should you actually be worrying about it? Who needs to be concerned? Who doesn't? Uh, I think it's something to be aware of. I don't think it's the great evil that everyone thought it was. Or, you know, I think it, I think it's more of a big deal for people who are, uh, overweight who are trying to lose a lot of weight and want to not regain it. For competitors, it's just something to be aware of, something that's going to happen. We all know that your energy expenditure is going to go down. You're going to have to kind of progressively drop calories as you go through a contest prep for the most part. Um, it's not as, you know, on average, it's about 15% reduction in BMR. And there's not a whole lot of strategies that seem to work to mitigate it, to be honest. So it's just something to be aware of and, um, you know, just got to deal with it. Okay. Um What's the key to peaking someone with no diuretics? 
I think the key is the same thing as if you're picking them with diuretics. Be really fucking lean. Um, <laughs> really lean. You know, here's the crazy thing about being lean and dry. If you have very low body fat, you look dry. Like there's, there's, that's it. That's the list, you know? Yep. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of people will, will argue with me about this. I'm like, listen, can people take diuretics and look really good? Yes, I've definitely seen that. But I've just had so many examples of people who didn't take diuretics and still looked very, very, very dry. Mm -hmm. I think in general, peak week is, one, you have to look good going into peak week, period. Like, if you're yep. not looking good going into peak week, there's nothing you're going to do in that last week that's going to, like, drastically change everything. Right. And don't make a bunch of fucking changes. Like, don't change everything. Like, mm -hmm. you, you, it's just, you're picking over dollars, you're stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. You know what I mean? Yep. That's that's the biggest yep. thing. Like, just a few subtle tweaks here and there, fill out a little bit, a little bit more glycogen, you know, that sort of thing. Don't go crazy. Yep. All right. Our listeners heard it here. We tell them the same thing, the exact same <laughs> thing. Now they've heard it from you as well. <laughs> Uh, and he's know, smart. Uh, here's 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 <laughs> one one two lines to say. You know what I very rarely hear? God, I look like shit going in, but after that peak week, man, that <laughs> fixed everything, and I look amazing. And Got how that. many times do we hear the following? God, I look so great a week out. What the fuck happened? Yeah, okay, right. Well, like there we go. I told yeah. my clients, my like real the ones I work with at a real high level, like, so what's your plan for me for peak week? And I go, uh, my plan is to not screw you up. That's my yeah. plan. <laughs> yeah. Big goal. Not sexy, but I'm sorry. Like, you know, I mean Chad Nichols kind of said the same thing about Ronnie Coleman. He's like, Have you seen him? Yeah. Like, I'm just gonna try to not fuck up. <laughs> Basically, as a coach, you're like a fourth line player on the last week. You don't need to score the winning goal, just don't get scored on. Like yeah. that's all you gotta worry about. Yeah. I do sorry to, to belabor this, but I do think a lot of it is people want like busy work to feel like they're getting something special and exactly. coaches want to give busy work so that they feel useful. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, do you ever adjust sodium with a competitor? Uh yes. I actually will increase sodium on show day, uh slightly. So I'll usually have uh, people have like a higher sodium meal about two hours out, usually about 50% of their normal daily sodium intake. And I tell people, if you want vascularity, like sodium is your best friend. I mean, mm -hmm. I, like so many people, I don't know how they don't make this connection. They're like, man, I went and had a cheat meal and I got real fucking vascular. And why wasn't I like that in show day? And they're like, maybe I didn't have enough carbs. I'm like, you ate a thousand grams of carbs <laughs> over the last 24 hours. Yeah. What happened is you stopped giving a shit about sodium and water. You sat down and drank water, ate sodium, and then you got really vascular and filled out. And your answer is carbs. Like, right. so yeah, I, I will, I will have some sodium, but I don't, I don't do, I don't do a big sodium load. I don't do a big sodium deplete. I just kind of keep it steady throughout peak week. And then day of add a little bit more in. And that usually works pretty well. Yep. Here's one for, uh, especially for me and Dusty. We're getting up there. We're almost relics. Um, <laughs> what are the best things? I mean, you. I know you see it. You're like, you're seeing it all. What are the things that are really piquing your attention when it comes to anti-aging? 
Resistance training. <laughs> um, Five-minute uh, ice bath followed by infrared sauna. And no, I mean, honestly, the, the shit that works is the shit we know works. I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm going to be 42 here in a month and most people would say I look, you know, most people will comment that I look, you know, mid-30s, something like that. Um, part of it is probably genetics. I'm not going to pretend like, you know, that that doesn't play. It does. But I mean, you know, my 20s weren't your normal person's 20s. I exercised consistently. I got a lot of sleep. Um, I didn't party a lot. I didn't beat my body up with drugs and alcohol, you know, other than those Jaeger shots. Um, so, <laughs> you didn't out him on that one. A decade <laughs> ago, you're reformed now. You're reformed. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like doing the, the stuff that, you know, works, you know, don't, don't, don't smoke, you know, don't do a bunch of hard drugs and shit, like take care of your body. And if you do that, your body takes care of you and you get older. Um, there may be a few things, you know, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not all in on like fasting 23 hours a day and ice baths and all that sort of stuff. I, I think right. that, uh, I think that the big, the big, the big stuff is still the big stuff that works, you know? I must what, also what add you, for the younger yeah. viewers, uh, Lane looks like he's in his 30s and his 40s, and I don't. And Lane stayed natural. Keep that in mind as well. <laughs> so that is, I mean, that is, you know, I think, um, you know, I tell people I'm not against PEDs. I love watching the Olympia. Like, I love watching, you know, untested bodybuilding. I think it's awesome, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But when you get, when, you, when you're taking something, that is giving you such a strong outcome as a pharmaceutical. I mean, like people ask me about TRT. I'm like, hey, TRT is probably fine. Like it, the research shows it's pretty safe. You know, if you're replacing something that's missing, missing, that's yeah. fine. But that's not what bodybuilders are doing. Like, let's be real here. You know, like, <laughs> we're we're uh, we're going above and beyond, and that's cool. It's cool to look at, but you yeah. know, understand informed consent. Just like playing in the NFL, there's going to be a cost. You know. And, um, I feel like that's what gets missed, though, is there's, there's, those are the effects of what you're doing, and people don't get that. You know, right. I mean, I had people say that, like, would you rather be huge or still have all your hair? And I'm like, well, I already made that decision based on my hair and my size. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> can't, can't but, edit. We can't edit yeah. the sentences that have periods at the end of them, as my friend John Maloney <laughs> likes to say, you know? Right, exactly. right, right. What, what's, your, uh, what's your thoughts? I know we're hitting an hour here, Lane. Um, my, my last one on my list is what is what are your thoughts on all this stuff that all these coaches are hopping on about your gut health and your gut fauna and resetting your gut and we've got to do this for your gut and you have to drink kombucha every day if you're going to be my client and all my clients are on this probiotic stack and these fermented foods and maximizing what's it's just run with this I want to hear you're smiling already. So I heard a really good um, thing the other day, which is it's kind of like the I know all gurus, IKAs. Uh, Dr. Mike was talking about this. <laughs> and they usually move into an area where the science isn't super clear yet because then it's very easy to make big, bold claims, right? Like this was like gut health right now is like inflammation 10 years ago. Like just want a broad sweeping thing that you can just throw out there, inflammation. You know, and I'm you're like, hitting a soft spot, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, 
So people were like, well, I was really inflamed and I did this. I'm like, really? So you had your CRP and your IL-6 and your IL-1 measured? What were the levels? And they're like, just give me this blank stare, you know? And I'm like, so you, you don't even know what it actually is. You're just using this as a buzzword, right? Uh, one of the people I did my PhD with, she was doing her master's at the same time as me, same lab. Her name's Suzanne Defkota. She's been to like the Nobel Prize meeting. She is one of the world's renowned gut microbiome experts. Here's the kind of claims that she makes. Um, we think that more diversity in your gut microbiome is probably better than less. Uh, we think that prebiotic fiber is probably like a really good fuel for the gut. Eating enough fiber is probably good. Um, exercise has a positive effect on the gut, probably from lactate. Uh, we think too much saturated fat might be bad for the gut because of the bile, in, bile salt in products from saturated fat. And, um, and we think maybe some fermented foods might be a little bit good. And, and that's pretty much it. Like there's not, it's not like, Hey, here's my 18 step supplement regimen, you know, to fix your gut <laughs> microbiome, you know? Um, and it's, again, it's an area that's so, we know like in 20 years, we're going to know so much. Mm -hmm. But right now, we just don't know that much. And unfortunately, I think people have this view from like Hollywood movies and TV that it's like, problem? Science solves it and knows the exact answer in 30 minutes. Yeah, and it's like, right. It's more like three decades is usually when we get an exact answer. I think that was one of the problems <laughs> with the pandemic is people were so critical of some of the things that happened and I, I being one of them. But at the end of the day, you know, that I think people lost a lot of trust in the scientific process. And really, if they understood the scientific process, they, they wouldn't have, they would have known why they saw so many dissenting opinions. It's because we were literally trying to build a ship while we were trying to sail it. Yeah, right. When you yeah. have a normal problem, you have decades of research, and then you can look back and go, okay, here was the best thing to do, right? Right. But now we have decades of research and we have a cure for HIV, right? By the way, did anything get fucking cured more quietly than HIV, which is supposed to kill everybody? Like, and now it's like you got HIV, it's like herpes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm being a bit hyperbole, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's because it happened over a very slow period of time. Um, whereas this, it's like we tried to mash together 30 de three decades of research in six months. You know, it's just, it's, yeah. it's going to be a shit show. Yeah, has to be. Uh, well, well, thanks for bringing up information yeah. as well, because uh, yeah. that's an, a one I loved you rolling into. <laughs> What's that? My, the inflammation, my, we, we, we've we hit that a few times. So the fact yeah. that you did that without being brought up, I, I had to laugh. I'm like, I'm so happy right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, somebody uses, if somebody uses the following terms, gut health, reset, any kind of reset, uh, inflammation, you know, adrenals, cortisol. Like, I'm not saying they're always full of shit, but these are usually buzzwords that don't confuse all shit, you know? Fact. Oh, I feel so vindicated, Lane. Like, I was a little bit afraid. I thought, oh, he's going to bury me on something. We're going to get along real good, and then I'm going to say something dumb. I'll make sure to send you the invoice. <laughs> Yeah, we might have we might have forgot to discuss that part. Yeah, yeah. And no, you know, thank you very much for coming on. You know, like, uh, you know, we uh, 
we appreciate when we get, you know, anyone's time, you know, we've had a lot of guests on from some of our fellow uh, meat, meat headiest of meatheads to, you know, guys like you. And uh, it's, it's uh, great to see, you know, I sort of see you as like, um, it's like the bodybuilding community sent a satellite out into the world <laughs> to, to kind of like, you know, we, and it got sent out, it got launched in like 2009 at the Arnold Expo as like as some eager kid wanting to, you know, go out there and meet his heroes and also, you know, you know, get into the, get into the scene and, and, uh, and we've, you know, the probe has done its thing. It's, 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 it's gone off and. Now we've discovered there's other life outside bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's like I, I don't know. There's I, I get a satisfaction out of seeing someone who's actually a bodybuilder who can go toe to toe with these outside people and and educate them and step them up, you know. And 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 that's been something I've really enjoyed just watching bodybuilding itself sort of permeate into pop culture so much more like look at all the most popular people online they all work out like yeah. chris willicks and huberman and like just name the top 20 podcasters they all work out at the gym and and so there's this like radical um sort of real you know i don't know conquering of of the outside culture with the weight room and i just sort of really i see you as a big part of that and and you know it's been fun to watch man Sure. I appreciate that, man. Honestly, I think, you know, really what you can look at is like, dude, look how many women are in the gym now. How great is yeah. that? Yeah. Like when I started, when I got into lifting weights, if there was a girl at the gym, if she was like a four, she became like an eight. You know what I mean? <laughs> there wasn't any women in the gym. Yeah. Now it's like the women are like 60% of the gym. It's great. I think it's, I yeah. think that's, you know, awesome that weightlifting has become such a normal thing now. It's great. Yep. Yeah. Okay. What's the plan, Lane? What's next on your agenda? What's your next big event? Shit. What is my next big event? Uh, not a whole lot on until the end of the year, just with the holidays and everything. But I'm going back to Australia in April for a real big event over there. Um, it's gonna be myself, James Smith, Mark Carroll, Lauren Simpson, Hattie Boydell, um, a lot of heavy hitters, especially with the Australian market. Um, we're doing a, a summit, so that's gonna be fun. And then I just, I'm probably going to start my own podcast uh, next nice. year. So that'll be fun. Um, and I, I think I'll be able to do kind of a, a different sort of spin on it than, than most people have. And then uh, thinking about writing uh, a book, but actually doing it the, the proper way and going with a publisher and try to hit the New York Times bestseller list and all that kind of stuff. You know? Oh, so, yeah. Um, awesome. You know, that's, that's a check mark in my career I haven't had yet. So I think it'd be fun well, to do. If you do a book, my one request is that you also read the entire audio book because yeah, I, wanna, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely need that effect. Every, everybody said you could uh, – like my, uh, my CFO, Chris Boyd, he's an awesome guy. And uh, he, I feel like of the people that know my brand, he knows my personal brand as good as anyone. So mm -hmm. whenever I get a new opportunity, I always bring it to him. And when I was talking about a book, he's and I said an audio book. He's like, before we get into it, you have to voice it over. You cannot have anybody else do it. And I'm like, yeah, I agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always hate it when that happens. I get the audio book and it's just first chapter or something like that. You know, they hand it's it like, off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Of course, BioLane, your Instagram. They find you BioLane. Is it BioLane on every platform? Pretty much. Pretty much. 
Yeah. Okay. Buy a lane with a real blue check. You know, <laughs> Not the one, one of the OG. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Thanks, man. Welcome. Uh, you know, welcome for your time and everything. And and uh, best of luck. And remember, everybody, it's just bodybuilding.